Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Louis, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hey, Tej, how you doing? I am very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Enjoying the summer so far. Yeah, so, I mean, it's yesterday was a thunderstorm where I was, and it's kind of cloudy now, so I think typical typical England, right? We always say, oh, it's so hot, it's so hot, and then... Um, then it rains. So, exactly, exactly. We should get used to it. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I think it, it's an interesting way that you're on the show because I don't, I don't think we were connected on Facebook before. I think you saw mm. one of my posts and, and messaged me and said, "Hey, let's let's talk." Is that right? Yeah, exactly. I saw um, I saw one of your posts and I just uh, thought it was really cool what you're doing, sort of getting yourself out there and uh, speaking to people. And I just thought um, you look like someone I should uh, should, should introduce myself to and say hi. Oh, fair enough. Good. Well, we're here now, so let's let's kind of get on with it. So I know in your first message, you know, you have a very, very interesting story, which, you know, from looking at it, there's lots of bits like making 42k off one deal with none of your own money, you know, looking at 1 million plus developments in the Midlands. Like there's, there's so much I want to ask you yeah. <laughs> and there's so much I think that people can learn from. But like, and this is also from me, you know, like who who were you before property? What were you doing before property what was your career or your job or your education or yes um probably a good place to start i think i was a typical uh victim of the rat race the sort of corporate um corporate life um and just to be clear i'm still in the the kind of transitional uh phase from that into becoming full-time in property um so yeah i spent over a decade working in in London um I came down to London I'm actually from the West Midlands originally so near um not far from Birmingham and uh, on the West Midlands side and um I came down to London to for work basically and I got a job working in uh, energy and commodities just by chance really it wasn't something that I that I planned to go into but um ended up sort of working my way up the corporate ladder and um getting a job in um in a bank um after i'd done my mba um so i was earning good money um i'd kind of fulfilled my corporate ambitions really to get a job in a bank uh, managing people in across different countries um quite a decent sized team and um suddenly had like kind of one of those moments where i was in the airport traveling out early to uh, a client meeting I think probably in Geneva, um, and I saw one of the books on the bookshelf, you know, the sort of classic rich dad, poor dad, and I think uh, there was Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week um, next to it, which for your listeners, I would recommend they read these books generally. Um, and I picked one up and I sort of read it and I thought, wow, okay, there is an alternative to slaving away in a bank for the next 30, 40 years. Um and that's basically what what got me on the road to property, really. So that was only uh, three three years ago, uh, around that time. Um, and since then, yeah, I've moved moved jobs and stuff. Now I just do a couple of days um, in the city, um, and I spend the rest of my time doing property. Wow. Okay. And so, you know, your job is quite corporate, is is quite senior. So, 
like what kind of tips or tricks do you have for balancing that work and property yeah that's uh that's an absolutely crucial thing so i always hear people who who want to become entrepreneurial whether it's property or or start a business and there's there's always two obstacles right one i don't have the cash or two i don't have the time and then of course some people have both of those issues um for me at the time i had a bit of cash um like i said i was earning good money um but i really had time constraints so i was working in a bank where it was just dis- the standard where you have to sort of get it get to your desk by 8 30 and you have to leave at six and like you know you can't really be taking phone calls during the day and stuff so once i decided and kind of decided i was going to start building a business i did look at um various other business initiatives before i got into property um so i quickly realized that i needed to uh, chop up my day and become really good at time management so um, at the time, I was still quite obsessed with the gym as well. So that meant I trained four days a week, typically before work, uh, as well as working the sort of standard hours. So what I had to do was sort of get up even earlier in the morning, sort of um, five o'clock in the morning. I'd always go to the gym and then I'd go for coffee and in, in a just normal coffee shop near my office. And I'd do like a good solid 30 or 40 minutes of really concentrated work. Uh, you know, on property, learning, uh, you know, researching deals, uh, just learning basically. And then in the evenings, most evenings I'd go to a library or, you know, a shared office space or something like this. And, and, you know, thankfully my wife was very understanding and supported it. Um, And then, yeah, pretty much every Saturday I went out. uh, This is by the time I, you know, fully embarked on property. Every Saturday I did a good, you know, 12 hour plus day where I would drive up you know, see five or six properties, I'd meet investors, I'd drive back home. And then on Sunday, I'd be putting deals out. And, um, you know, I'd try and schedule time with my wife, so that she didn't feel left out as well, you know, and it's, it's an important part of it. And um, part of that whole process, and this is something that still is evolving now is having a kind of good morning routine, a good evening routine, and just planning your week ahead. And it's not always perfect. I probably get it perfect. I don't know, four, three or four days out of seven where, you know, um, in my morning routine and even then when I was working, I would get up, I'd take sort of 10 minutes just to, just to be quiet and meditate, sort of think about what I'm grateful for. And then I'd start to plan my day. I'd put all, everything in, in my calendar on my iPhone so that I'd actually got blocked out times to do things like, you know, half an hour property work here, you know, half an hour course and, you know, a mortgage broker here or whatever just plan the week ahead like that and then in the evenings just slow it right back down as well because you know you, you don't want to burn yourself out so again some kind of meditative practice um which i do a lot more of now i've got more time but back then i, I found it even more crucial because there's only a certain amount of stress you can really take and if you're working full-time it's quite stressful and you're trying to build a business you know you've got to you've got to give your brain a bit of downtime um, mm. Yeah, and then I would sort of uh, wrap up the day and see what I'd done well, what I'd not done well, and and plan my next day ahead. So that's that's a routine that's got even more um, specific now. But like I said, I don't have the time issues anymore. So I actually spend a lot more time meditating and stuff like that now, which is nice. Wow. So it, it seems as though having a kind of fairly strict routine, sticking to it, forming it into a habit, 
ensuring you don't miss things and blocking your time out has really been quite pivotal to allowing you to do both these at the same time and also now transition into into kind of doing it full time so you know like you said a lot of people are are kind of worried about quitting their job because you've got security you've got income coming in like it's, it's all happy days what what is you know like what has been your trigger point where you said you know what I need to get into property full time. I'm I'm done with my sort of career in this aspect. Um, and what gives you the security to say, you know what? Yep, let me get rid of that salary. Let me let me jump straight into property. Yeah, um, good question. I think um, when I got the job in the bank, um, I realised I'd reached a kind of goal that I'd set myself. And then I kind of looked around and I saw like. You know, it's quite in a stressful environment. The phones are ringing. Everyone's got their headsets on. You know, it's like big open plan office. And I just remember thinking, like, okay, I don't want to be here for the next thirty years. This is not what this, this is not what I had in plan for my life. You know, uh, it's all good wearing a nice suit and earning good money, but like, if you're not happy, like, you've got you've got to think of what else is out there. And and to be honest, and I and I know this. Is, is is the case of a lot of people who've got corporate jobs um you know or they're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever you know there's something they've really worked on they like i just didn't realize there was an alternative I, I honestly didn't realize you could go and actually have a respectable way of making money in other fields i just thought it was a kind of fantasy and when you start meeting people who've done it you're like wow like actually you can do this like you yeah. can you can put hard work in like i don't believe in it being an overnight thing like you know but if you work three to five six years put your effort in um you can do it and i've you know i'm proof of that i'm um i'm at a stage now where uh one thing i would say for people is don't quit your job immediately you know if you can do it around your job and get it to a point where you're starting to see the 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 benefits coming in and then even better if you can go down to part-time or take a you know just an easier job while you're building it up to a point where it's really stable do that it's another thing sort of tim ferris would say in four hour work week you know it's not all about just quitting straight away if you if you don't have to you can do it for two or three years um you know it's uh it's, it's it's doable you just got to be really structured Hmm, that's very interesting and I think as you were talking through that and then sort of hearing the hours you put in your routine and the structure you had you know whilst you had a job I think that's the reality of it you know if you really want something a business whatever it is that badly you will do what you did which is put in that time and sleep less work more probably spend less time with family and friends but it's for that period of time that you have to put that hustle in, which is what it is, to kind of come out the other end. So it's nice to hear the kind of the reality, you know, not the not the end result, but kind of how you got there. Um, yeah. So, like, talk me through your first property deal. Where was it? How much did it cost? What were the kind of figures? It'd be great to understand that. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so once I'd kind of decided on a property and I'd been to a sort of, you know, a few a few events and stuff and sort of got the the gist of it i um i started looking around the west midlands because that's where i'm from and i, I was struggling there to be honest because i had quite a straightforward basic strategy which was to put a lot of offers out and try and get something that was heavily discounted you know it's uh, called below market value is the general 
uh, term for it and I was just trying to look for that and it was very hard to do in the Midlands because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of normal buyers amateur landlords and there's investors as well so it's, it's very competitive but anyway I um, I found uh, someone that I knew of was struggling to sell their house a uh, buy to let it was vacant and it had a lot of damp issues um, and I basically got talking to them they were a reluctant landlord they just wanted to get rid of it it was on the market for 125 grand but it needed quite a lot of issues uh, with the damp um, in the downstairs. So already I was able to negotiate a bit of a discount off asking price. So the purchase price was 110000 Um The refurb was looking to be around twelve to 15000 Um So that would have been an okay, straightforward purchase for a first deal. But what I did is I, as I mentioned, you know, you've got a meet people and, and expand your network and I, I met um, a guy called uh, Alex Hickman who who's become a, a friend and uh, we've, we're doing a couple of businesses now together and he uh, made a quite a, a question to me he says why don't you ask the seller what they're going to do with the, the money when when you've purchased it because I knew it didn't have a mortgage on it and so what we did is we structured a vendor finance contract so I did the straightforward purchase and then as a secondary um, part of the deal the actual seller uh, because they were going to get pretty much close to £110,000 and I knew that they didn't have that much to do with it. Um, I know the guy and he, you know, he just said that they're just going to sit in his building society. So I said, well, what about if you lend it back to me um, over three years and uh, I'll double what your building society pays. His building society pays 1.5% per year. So I offer 3% per year, three years, £30,000 back out of the deal. Um, obviously, that can cover either my... Uh, the deposit, paying myself back for the deposit that I put in, or uh, what I did do with it was actually go to Hull, which is my next investment area, and I used thirty grand to pay for a couple of refurbs there. Um, and obviously, um, it's just a good way of releasing some equity from a transaction. So I think a tip there is a uh, obviously speak to people who are a bit more experienced, and they'll tell you how to structure something. And then now I know. Very, like multiple different ways of structuring vendor finance deals that I've used uh, subsequently. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I've I've heard of vendor finance people talking about it, but I've never I've never actually spoken to someone who's done it, and especially to such success. Um, I think what I'm taking from that is that you took the time to like firstly be direct to vendor, which is which is really important to, because you know agents aren't going to understand them or take the time to know their problems, but you did that, which meant. You know, if you didn't ask the question, what you can do with the money, which yeah. is, you know, potentially some people might not want to ask because of tact or because of whatever. But I think it's a fair question. Um, you wouldn't have been able to do this deal. And so you don't ask, you don't get. <laughs> it's kind exactly. Of what, exactly. Know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think generally as a rule, estate agents, you know, they sort of balk at the idea of doing something more creative generally. So, yeah, if you can get to the vendor they're probably more open to it and particularly if you ask it in a way that's not so direct and you yeah. just you know you can ask them oh that's a nice amount of money are you gonna you know do something exciting with it you know what's your plans and you know you've got you can't do it on the first meeting but perhaps once mm. you've had a cup of tea with them they might tell you oh I'm sticking it in my building society I only get one percent I mean that's a perfect line right <laughs> that is the ideal because at the end of the day you're helping them out and you're helping yourself out so it's you know, exactly. it's, it's win-win as everyone always says so speaking yeah. of agents like how do you now and and before i guess how do you 
get direct to vendor? Is it sort of through agents and meeting them at, after their hours? Is it leafleting? What, what's your approach? I've I've tried um, almost all of the marketing approaches to get direct to vendor. So I don't really look at residential anymore. But when I was doing residential, uh, and um, I, I tried everything. So I did uh, leafleting. I didn't have much success with leafleting, to be fair, although I know that it does work in certain areas. I think it's a strategy that you just really have to keep going at month after month after month until you start to get some responses. But I've had good response, um, good um, deals come through things like bandit boards, you know, we buy houses, signs, um, Gumtree. I've used assistance to track down landlords um you know i've contacted people off council websites i've done i've done most things to be honest and i think that's one you know one thing i would say to people who are new you know try a strategy out give it six months and then try something new and then you'll be surprised you know certain things work in certain areas there's no one size fits all because if there is everyone does it and then it no longer becomes effective so it's all about you know trying different things out and um you know estate agents they, they play a role they can be good um to get relationships with and they might tell you certain new deals they've got um however obviously they tend to not be fans of creative deals and stuff which is something i'm quite passionate about these days so yeah, yeah if you can get direct to vendor it's even it's great really Awesome. And then, so I know we talked about your, your first deal, but maybe talk me through some of your more recent deals that are particularly interesting to you or creative. Sure. Um, well, I had one last week that I posted a, a video about on a couple of forums, actually, and it did uh, get quite a lot of interest because um, it's the last residential deal I did. It actually materialized last week in terms of completion. Mm. Um, and the profit on it was £42,000. Sorry, say, say that again? Yeah, the profit on it was £42,000. And wow. the amount of money I put into it was probably less than a 1000 right? Now, it's not a straightforward transaction. And it does take a bit of skill. And it does involve raising some money to do it. But the general approach was um, basically I found a um, a couple who wanted to sell their home. However, they'd let the home get very run down. It needed like a good fifteen to twenty thousand pounds spent on it, which they just didn't have. Um, so in a normal world, they probably would have sold it through an estate agent, which um, I did advise them about um, as an option. But they said, "Look, we need this." we need this sold within four weeks. And I was like, whoa, four weeks? Why is that? And they said they, they wanted to go to their dream home. Uh, they'd seen it. And if they can't complete, they're going to lose this this home they wanted. I said, okay, well, let, let me have a think about this. So what I did is I found out how much they needed to move out to get their dream home, which is basically a deposit amount. Um, I found out what the value of the property was in its current form. Um, I also found out what it had been worth when it was done up. Um, and then I structured a deal so that basically I agreed I'd pay them enough money so that they could go and get a deposit on their new home. Mm-hmm. I'd take control of their existing home so I could get my guys in to do a refurb. Um, I borrowed uh, the money for the refurb and for their deposit from two investors, or as some people will say, angels, basically mm-hmm. people with a bit of cash. Mm-hmm. I paid the angels some money. I used that to pay the builders and to buy sellers out of their situation um, and then eventually I put it on the market and within about 
two weeks, we actually had a cash buyer <laughs> ask, at asking price. Um, and yeah, the only downside was it took a lot longer to complete just because of solicitors uh, taking a long time. But generally, it's a nice deal. So yeah, 42 grand uh, dropped into my account. Um, wow. The nice side of it as well, I was able to give um, a couple of friends some work for the refurb. I was able to pay a couple of angels you know, four or five grand in interest. And so the estate agent got some money. The sellers got what their house was pretty much worth at the time. So, yeah, it's a good deal all around, really. I'm not saying every deal works so perfectly, but um, yeah. it is a nice one. <laughs> wow. So that's not a win-win. That's like a win-win-win-win exactly. win, win, win yeah, for, yeah. for everyone. If only they were always so, so like that, <laughs> well, but of course yeah. they're not. But, yeah. but of course you've, you know, and that's the thing, like that, if, if you just said to someone that that's what I've just done in property, they might think, oh, overnight success. But no, you've, you know, you've worked your, your butt off for the past months or however long years to get to a point where this kind of deal falls in your lap as such. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's important for people to note how much goes into, it's like the iceberg, you know, how much goes into it underneath and beforehand before you see that success on the top of it. Um, so would yeah. you say what you did was was kind of an assisted sale? Would you classify it as that? Yeah, and and the the thing I would say as well is, like you say, it's not you, you're not going to be able to come up with that structure just yourself uh, on the first time you meet a seller, right? I mean, that's that's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of me doing bad pitches and honing <laughs> it and figuring out what's correct and you know just uh, speaking to people and paying for training and you know doing all that kind of stuff. Um, to get to that point where I can sit down, have a cup of tea with someone, and they have enough confidence in me to say, we want to deal with you. I don't want to put it on the market for an estate agent. I trust you. Let's do it. Okay, cool. And then I you know, go away and then panic and think, oh, how do I actually do this? And, you know, that's that's part of the journey, right? I mean, um, th- that, that took me a long time to get to a point where I constructed deals. But the beauty of knowing how to do assisted sales, lease options, vendor finance um you know all of these different variations apart from the standard buying below market value Mm. is that when i'm looking at bigger projects as i am now these structures tend to be a lot more um palatable to the sellers because they're quite open to things like options um they're quite open to people coming in and doing a refurb um on something like an exchange with delayed completion these concepts are quite openly talked about in commercial projects or bigger projects compared to say residential where they're not so common so it's a really useful you know set of tools to learn no definitely wow that's and and whereabouts was this property uh the west midlands west midlands ah, again yeah. okay and yeah. i think this goes back to what we said earlier it's just about understanding people and understanding yeah. what what's what are their motivations what you know how can you help them and you, you did that you understood it you came in with a solution you you the solution was legally correct it was all above board because you had mentors and people to tell you this so yeah i think there's a lot of points that like we can we can take from that and i remember from your first message on facebook you said that you managed to buy and renovate 10 properties since you started in property is that right oh no not since i started that was in my first year so that is you know that's... <laughs> i've been doing it three years now so that was my that was my first year when i was working full-time and that's something that i am proud of and um, lo- looking back i honestly don't know how i did it to be honest it was just sheer <laughs> just sheer persistence and just like wanting to prove myself really but yeah because you know that is you know that's a large amount i think you know even full-time property investors would 
would maybe have that as a goal or a target. Obviously, everyone's different, but from what I'm from from what I hear from a lot of people, that's that's a lot. Um, yeah, you know, if you if you had to, um, so was this all in the Midlands? These ten properties? No, I um I went further north or farther north. Sorry, I went to Hull. I uh, got some in Darlington, um, and then some in the Midlands. Yeah, I didn't really buy anything down south at the time, mm. and I still haven't. But um, yeah. That's interesting. And then another thing that really kind of stood out from your message was that you managed to raise over 250k of, of private finance while you were in full-time work. And yeah. again, was that in your first year? It was, yeah. And I think um, that's a game changer, right? Because yeah. um, even like I said, I started with some cash myself so I could get the first few projects going. Um, at the end of the day, property's not cheap. So <laughs> even if you've got 50 grand or 100 grand or wherever you've got to start, you're going to use it up quickly if you're only using your own. Yeah. Even if you follow the kind of standard strategies that a lot of training camps teach, which is like buy below market value, wait six months, refinance, do it again. I mean, the reality is it always takes longer. You don't always get your cash back out. Um, yep. There's a lot of hidden costs and stuff, right? So the game changer is as soon as you start raising money, and then people start seeing your projects going, oh, I'm gonna, you know, just paid someone three grand interest. Oh, that's interesting. What's he doing? Then you suddenly find out that some of your mates might have a bit more cash than you think, right? <laughs> um, and, and to be honest, like where I'm at now, like I've actually, I've actually found it quite amazing. Like not just, not really friends and family, but like connections now yeah. have some serious cash and it just gives you an alternative. Not always, but it gives you an alternative to like bridging and mortgages and stuff, right? So it's just another tool you've got. Um, but one thing I would say for people is like, don't let money be a stopper because there's a lot of people at the moment don't know where to stick their cash, right? I mean, yeah. it's low interest rates. It's uh, it's just uh, an unsure market. If 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 you can offer them something and good security, like don't don't be scared to to put a proposition out there. No, that's interesting. I think money is probably the thing that most new people. And I remember I did this when I first like was a kind of a training course. That's the thing we worry about. But then actually, yeah. the more people like yourself who we speak to, it's the least thing that you worry about. And so it's so interesting how it, it changes so drastically to the other end of the scale once you start getting it, once you start doing things. So uh, that's something I think anyone starting out who's listening, like just, you know, like, like Louis saying, don't let that stop you. You know, if you've got a deal, the money will come. There's plenty of people with money who have no clue what to do with it and if you can help them and help yourself then you know why not right um and exactly yeah i think you're at the stage as well where you have that kind of social proof you have these projects you have these houses you know you are someone that people would want to invest in because of your track record you know even if they didn't know you as a person which is obviously you know super super important they can still look at your track record and say you know damn he you know he's providing people returns now Let's flip that around. Take me, for example. I haven't got a track record, but I think I've got a decent enough personality to speak to people and whatnot. Yeah. How, you know, how would you say, you know, someone like me should go about raising finance without a track record? And how did you yeah. do it when you started? Yeah, I mean, I won't um, BS people, right? The first bit is the hardest bit, like everything. Um, you know, getting that first investor is is always going to be the trickiest one. And like you say, once you've done two or three projects, people start coming out of the, the forest and going, hey, you know, I've got a bit of cash as well. You know, oh, I've just got this money handed to me. I don't know what to do with it. So, yeah, the first bit is the hardest bit. So um, if you can 
pull some cash together for your first one yourself, that's a fantastic way to get going, right? So it doesn't have to be that you've got 30 grand saved up if you don't. There's other ways to do that. For example, you can get creative with um, with credit cards, but make sure you do it in a structured, sensible way. Learn how to do it before you start applying for loads of 0% credit cards. But I've met many people who've actually bought their first uh, project using credit card finance, for example. But you know, if you've got 20, 30 grand saved, fantastic. It's a way to get going. If not, um, you know, start speaking to a small group of friends and family to begin with and actually carry with you like um, an example deal. So hopefully it's a real one, but I'll leave it to you if it's, if it's not a real one, but you know, <laughs> have, a, have a, a real deal that you've looked at with a real business case, carry it with you all the time. And if you know, you end up speaking to your auntie, say like, do you mind having a look at this property deal? I just want to show you what I'm doing, get a bit of feedback from you. Don't ask them directly for their cash, but as a follow-up, you can say to them, you know, do you have any feedback? Would you be interested in seeing my business plan? Um, and more to the point, would you mind, Would you do you know anyone who would be interested in this kind of transaction? Because I'm willing to share, you know, 10% interest with them or something. Um, it's, it's a way of not directly asking your auntie, for example, <laughs> but she might know someone who who, um, who does know someone, right? And that's, yeah. that's what it comes down to. It's kind of like building that um spider web of like different people you can contact and of course that's friends and family and then you want to get out of that circle quickly and you want to get into you know slightly more bigger investors who uh, well depends on your friend and family it's not really my friends and family but <laughs> <laughs> okay and then so that so the kind of private investors or angels that you had and have you know as an example how did you find them yeah so um Obviously, I was in a position where I had a bit of cash to get going. So I did do, uh, well, as we already discussed, my first one, I put the deposit down myself, but then I got some cash back out for the next one. Um, I was able to do like some social proof, like you say, some Facebook posts and just tell people what I was doing, uh, built a business plan. And then, yeah, asked some friends and family for feedback on my business plan and built it around there. So, um I got to a point where I was getting frustrated because I was thinking, hmm, why is no one like chucking money at me? This is weird. And then suddenly, yeah, someone phoned me up and said, you know, I'll chuck 20 grand at you. I thought, okay, cool, it's a start. And then it built from there, really. And um, like I say, it's it's not um, an issue now when I raise deals which are far beyond what any friends and family would be able to finance because I've got contacts in other spaces now um, and I know different creative ways to find the money um, so yeah that's how that's how I started kind of starts small. you know if you can even get five grand off someone pay them back you know 10% interest or whatever you want to do and ask them to tell their friends about it you know who knows the next guy might have 50 grand right or 100 yeah. grand so yeah, so it's it's all about networking and and building that trust and those relationships, right? In terms of, if you haven't got a network, if you haven't got people who are seeing what yeah. you're doing, you're not talking to people, then there's no one to give you money. Um, yeah, exactly, you know, that's, exactly. That's interesting. And I know you mentioned you're now looking at kind of bigger commercial projects in the Midlands. So, so what are you doing next in property? Yeah, I mean it's an interesting time in the property market, right? I mean. We haven't had a crash since 2008. We've got a situation where London prime market has dropped significantly. The London development market's quite flat. And then, as we've seen historically, ripples tend to come out from the capital. 
Uh, we've got Brexit. We've got low interest rates. I mean, they're increased slightly, but still very low. Um, we've st- we've got lots of mixed signals to the market at the moment. You know, we've got fewer people coming to the country. However, then I read articles saying there's still a housing shortage and so on. So my general view is that I won't do new big new build developments in the south. Would I do it in the Midlands and up north? Probably yes. So for me, if I can do deals that are, say, half a million up to three million type projects where there is a creative way to structure it. For example, I don't have to raise all of the cash up front. So perhaps I could do, you know, an exchange of delayed completion um, so that there's less need to raise money immediately, things like this. That's the kind of projects that I'm looking at. So we've got a few at the moment uh, that are really exciting. We had literally a couple of, we had two offers accepted um, in the last week. And one is um, an old uh, bank, which looks um, like a really cool project to to convert into um, into studios. Uh, and another one is an old um, courthouse as well that we're looking at. So those are the kind of projects that I'm, I'm looking at at the moment. Wow, they, they sound quite interesting to turn these kind of older maybe differently designed buildings into a cool living space or office space or something like that so the courthouse in particular probably gonna look pretty cool like given the outside of it um exactly yeah exactly and so the what the offer that got accepted what are the figures on that or what they and also what are they projected to be once you've done what you're going to do yeah so um the purchase price is um less than 400k and we've got GDVs of over 1.2 million, depending on what we do with it. So the building itself lends itself to being um, studio flats. I'm talking about the bank now. Studio flats on the top two levels, um, and then a commercial, like um, you know, convenience store or supermarket on the bottom level. Um, but of course, each project varies, and part of the the thing that I've been learning over the last year is to look at the potential and the different ways you can structure it. Um, not just the financial part, but also the the layout and exactly what you can do with it. You know, I wouldn't really do sort of new build flats, like I said, in London right now, just because I see how many there are. But certainly places in the Midlands and in the North, there's still, there's still a demand for, for, for new builds and so on, because the investors tended to focus down here in London and, um, you know, you can really see that when you drive around London now. So many yeah. like half-finished skyscrapers and stuff. You know, for me, it just like it looks like there's there's just going to be a massive oversupply of new builds. Um, but I don't see that so much uh, outside of London, to be honest. Okay, and this um, bank is it in the west? Is it in the Midlands, West Midlands? I can't tell you too much. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> someone might someone might go in and steal it from me. This has also happened. This has been a big thing. Uh, this year, since I've been working on sort of bigger deals, I've really had to learn about patience because um, even with the residential stuff, they tend to take longer than you want, right? But mm. um, commercial, like we've had so many deals where we've arranged all the funding, we've had the deal accepted and like you're you're like, okay, cool, that was actually really easy. And then it just unravels or the vendor changes <laughs> his mind or the solicitor talks him out of it. We've had everything, right? And um, it's quite it's quite funny. So now I don't get too excited about uh, deals. I just, <laughs> I just kind of go with the flow. And I've learned that because of doing all of those smaller ones when I started, when some went well, some didn't, and just kind of been, okay, you know, some some do some don't and some fall apart and, that, and that's just 
that's just how my mindset is now. You know, I don't get too excited. I don't get too sad if it doesn't, you know, so it's fine. Okay. And then, so the West Midlands and the Midlands are, from, from where you live right now, what, about two hours? Um, I live in South London, so I can do two and a bit hours if I set off really early, which I like to do. Getting home is an absolute pain. It's like three and a half, four hours sometimes, so... Because I have to drive either across London or around London, so. <laughs> oh, okay. So, that that's quite a distance away, right? So, yeah. how how do you manage your property investments and businesses up up there? Yeah. So the um, the the residential stuff I've still got um, is all just rented out by local estate agents. So you know I haven't been up to Hull or Darlington since I've, I've um, you know I haven't physically been up there in over a year or so. Um, and in the Midlands, you know, my family's there as well. So I tend to go and drop in on my parents and, and do that. I don't have to go up every week. Um, you know, it's every few weeks and I try to, you know, I'll meet other investors and stuff and just make it an interesting trip really. So see my, see my family and stuff. I mean, just to be clear, like the first few years when I was working full time doing it all, like I was working really long hours and it was hard. And now I can tell you, honestly, I've got, I spend so much more time doing like hobbies now <laughs> and you know that's how I want it to be right so like yeah. I still work hard like you know like after this I'll go for coffee with my wife I'll get my laptop out as well I'll do for about four or five hours of work then I'll go relax in then I'll just go to do one of my hobbies in the evening right that's that's what a day's like for me now mm. and um, I go up to the Midlands once every couple of weeks see my parents I might see one commercial property I might see two because it's not like you need to go and see 10 there's not even that many on the market at once right so so it's a lot less hassle for me now and it's quite enjoyable but this is what I wanted I didn't want to create another 50 hour or 60 hour a week job I wanted one that's like you know two or three days a week and I can kind of relax you know that's what the goal was for me Mm. and so would you say that property has given you financial freedom yeah so at the moment i'm at the stage where it's nice for me to have a regular job with an income because when i go and get bridge loans and mortgages they look at that really favorably Mm. but i'm in a nice position where i don't really have to um and i'm in a position where i probably will at some point hopefully the end of the year just say look i'm gonna just go and do this because the last couple of deals in fact the, uh, there is one deal i'm working on which i won't talk about right now but i actually am very close to raising nearly 100 percent lending on it and it's not the kind of deal where they look at your own um your own um income and stuff right so okay. for me if i can start pulling stuff like that off i know that i don't really need this kind of uh, standard job to qualify for mortgages and stuff so that's the kind of direction i'm going in okay wow and this is a, a super broad question that I ask everyone. What are your thoughts on, I know you've touched on this briefly, but what are your thoughts on the property market in your areas of investment? So pick whichever area you kind of know the best. Give me your thoughts on that. And again, you can answer it from any perspective, any aspect, focus on anything, be really broad. It's, it's totally up to you. Yeah, cool. that, is a, that is a broad question, right? <laughs> so I, I'd summarize three probably regions i think i've already talked about london right london to me is oversupplied with new builds wouldn't touch it personally um if there is a crash then i would start looking at it right so that's that's london and the south for me midlands best of both worlds you know you've got some commercial properties that i look at now 
for residential, it's still pretty hot, man. I mean, like like I say, I sold that one uh, within two weeks of being on the market with a cash investor asking price. So are you going to get below market values around there? Quite possibly if you market for them, um, but probably not if you go through estate agents. And uh, farther north, yeah. I mean, in cities like Hull, where I invested previously, there's definitely a lot of housing stock that comes on that's in need of a refurb, right? You de- you, for example, you don't really see that a lot in London. Like if I scroll through Rightmove on London, I, I don't typically see an old-fashioned house that needs renovating. It just, just doesn't happen. And if I look in Hull, you do see that. And if I look in other cities up north, that's great. That means I can go and get a below-market value property if I put enough offers out. So that's a quick rundown of the whole country. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really interesting. It, you know, finding a place to invest, especially as Londoners, when you're um, like choosing your areas in property investment, can be quite tough because there's always these like mini economies in every city and different things going on. So it's it's good to hear from someone like you who's kind of experience these different parts right um so the last part of the podcast is my quick fire three by three type session so um i'm gonna ask you three questions and it's gonna be like your your top three or biggest three or something of three yeah but but three times are you ready for this i think so So, so so when you when you answer just give them like quite sort of top level if that makes sense so What are the biggest three mistakes that you've made in property? Um, buying without seeing. So don't ever buy a property without seeing it, even if a sourcing agent tells you it's fantastic and you don't need to see it. Number one. Two, I tended to use a lot of bridge loans. Um, they play a role, but I use them too often and then couldn't get out of them quick enough and ended up paying a lot of exit and entry fees. So always check what's in the bridge loan and uh, try to avoid them unless the deal really does need fast finance and it's the only way to do it. And for example, you can't get private finance. And three, it's not a mistake I've made, but it's a mistake that I see a lot of investors making who want to get into property and that is procrastination. I see people who started around the same time as me and they say like, wow, you've done really well. And I say, yeah, cool. I say, you know, how are you getting on? They say, oh, I'm still choosing between Leeds and Liverpool. I really like Leeds because it's got this. I like Liverpool because it's got that. And I say like, well, why don't you just pick Leeds and just go for it? And then don't work. Choose Liverpool. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, they'll have been in that thought pattern for like a year or or two or three. And I I think that's a shame, right? There's no perfect area and you can change it. Like I've changed. I've I've been to different areas. It's not the end of the world. So I'd say just avoid procrastinating. Okay. That makes sense. And then what would be your top three tips for people who are new to property? Um, I guess the converse of procrastination is getting stuck in, right? Don't be too scared of making some mistakes. You will make a few mistakes. Um, property in itself is pretty forgiving because it's not like I'm putting um, a thousand pound bid on Bitcoin and then suddenly <laughs> it drops overnight, right? What typically happens in property is I, I offer, it gets accepted, then I've got time to panic, I've got time to speak to my lawyer, a solicitor, get a rick surveyor, blah, 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 right? So just go ahead. If you make a mistake, try and figure out a way out of it. If you do make a mistake, it's probably not going to be as bad as you think. Um, that you know, I'm not saying go out carefree and just doing everything, but it's better to do some stuff than just sit sit around waiting for things to happen. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think I already covered the area one, but that would be my number one. Uh, sorry, number two tip is um, get stuck into an area. Um, don't get too analytical to the point of um, sort of paradox of choice where you just can't choose one. You know, pick one area, have a second area, do a few visits, and then and then uh, make some progress. And then the third one, right, is um, possibly a bit controversial, right, but it's something that I was really surprised by. Um, be careful who you tell. So when um, we're raising money, it's important to be talking about property to people, and it's important to use Facebook and uh, stuff like that, right? But when you're embarking on property or any kind of business venture, if your friends and family are of a different mindset, they will tell you why you can't do it, right? They mean it from the best place with the best intention. But I was genuinely really surprised that friends and family, you know, friends mainly, but they they literally laughed at me. They laughed at me. And I said, okay, you know, fair enough. I won't tell any more people. I'll just, I'll just go and do it. And, you know, it, it can be quite hurtful. And I think, you know, it's, it's, when you meet people who've done it, they'll 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 understand that. But if you're brand new to property, and you know you're kind of saying, like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I've been on a course, I'm gonna do this," you'll be surprised how many people will actually say to you, "Oh, come on, Ted, you're you're mad. You won't be able to do that. Oh, <laughs> God, that's risky. Oh, you haven't thought about this. Oh, and, and then you start thinking like, maybe I'm mad. Maybe I have just been told yeah. a lie. So you know, just be careful like who you're telling, and more to the point, use that negativity as to, to, to like fire you up, right? So when someone tells you you can't do it, you are crazy, just say okay, fair enough, you know, and then just use that <laughs> as kind of fuel, right? That's that's like that's actually probably my number one tip, actually. Okay, cool. And then I guess the last one is more personal to you. What are your like top three goals for the future? Feel free to give me short term, mid term, long term, whatever you want to share. Sure. So um, I'd like to, because I've seen the transformation in myself and I've seen what property has done to me. Um, I want to help 10 people get financially free next year. Um, I work with uh, my business partner, Alex. We, we run the property coaches. So we talk about a lot of these creative deals and stuff. So that that's something that I'm passionate about. Um, secondly, um, I'd like to have you know, I saw one of your last guests had a nice red Lamborghini, so I'd like to be in a position, right? <laughs> you know, I'd like to be in a position to buy one, but not actually buy one. So okay, would... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and thirdly, you know, I want to, um, I've got really passionate about hobbies and stuff. Um, I started martial arts the last couple of years, and I'd like mm-hmm. to. I'd like to have a black belt within the next five years. And I'd also like to um, sort of continue the personal development and spiritual side, you know, that, that I've got out of having all this additional time that I've got now. So, yeah, those are the sort of main three things I'd focus on. Wow, fantastic. Is it nice to see kind of broader goals than just kind of property? So... Yeah, Mi- mixing in a Lamborghini with some progress. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange combo. So that's, you know, we'll see how that develops. Hey, each but... two, <laughs> and, uh, you know, this Lamborghinis and, and martial arts, I mean, it's a great combination. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> especially... In case someone tries to steal it. Well, right. yeah, especially in London, yes. Yeah. So, um, no, that's that's really cool. And Louis, I think, you know, I've I've been sitting here making notes. I think I've learned a lot from what you've from what you've said i think it's also quite inspirational to kind of hear someone who's you know an, another guy in london just yeah. you know doing his thing had a corporate job you know hustled for a while and is now kind of reaping the rewards but is still loving it and is still passionate about it and can work you know 
really can work however he wants. Um, and I think this is what my podcast is about. It's about getting real people like you who have done it, but who will say, look, it took pain, it took blood, it took sweat, it took tears, but I'm yeah. here. If you can yeah. do it, anyone can do it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Like as like I said, there's, there's there's a lot of people out there who make light of the hard work and the and the risk, and it's not for everyone, right? You know, like yeah. if you've got a transaction going through and it, it plays on your mind, so you've got to, you've got to have a decent risk appetite as well. And not everyone has, right? So yeah, it's um it's important. Definitely. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Um. If if people want to get a hold of you, I'll, I'll put your kind of your Facebook and your email in the show notes. But do you have a yeah. website or anything like that that you'd want people to to visit to check you out? Yeah, the the Facebook page, um, Facebook forward slash the property coaches is probably the best because I tend to post a lot of my deals and stuff on there um, and give tips and stuff as well. So that's probably the easiest way um, to 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 follow me. Awesome, Facebook the property coaches. Everyone follow Louis. There's there's lots to learn. Um, and yeah, thanks again, Louis, for your time. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, Ted, and uh, keep up what you're doing. Looks uh, really exciting. Yeah, no problem. Let's get you back on the show in a couple of years, and and let's let's maybe record it in your Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Take sounds care, good. Dude. Sounds like a good call. Cheers, Ted. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.